ego death is at those higher doses, you don't, your ego doesn't have an option to stay in what is the known world. You are forced into the unknown world. And this, this mirrors the hero's journey, which is the, the theme of our fit for service fellowship this year is the hero's journey. So it's very apt that we're learning about it. But the, it's the reason that a five gram dose is called a heroic dose. You depart the known world. You're going to confront the things in front of you that need to be confronted. And then you're going to come back with the treasure to the normal world. But you won't have a say in it anymore. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. It's how we learn and now it's your turn. Let's get Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. If you're new to University of Adversity, welcome to the family. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. Love you guys. Thanks for joining us here today. I know that there's all kinds of things you could be listening to and watching. We can go down the rabbit holes of conspiracies. We could go on YouTube, do all that stuff. We could watch movies. So I appreciate you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're cleaning. Maybe you're cooking. It's funny because the podcast listenership has gone down as of late because nobody's driving. Nobody's going to the gym. The to and from has kind of dissolved a little bit for the time being, which is cool. It's all right. But if you are listening to this, I really, really appreciate it. You guys, today I got a really special guest it's our second feature from the Fit for Service Fellowship that I'm part of, the Aubrey Marcus Mastermind. It's a year-long program. A lot of you guys know, some of you don't. We got a certain amount of summits and meetups this year, and we have this online community, this community that is amazing. And the level of human beings that are in this are inspire me and just blow my mind on how not only in tune they are to the world, but how conscious they are and how how much everybody is willing to want to grow and everybody's on different levels, different achievements, but we're all brought together a hundred of us or so. And what I've decided this year is to, in the next nine months, feature one person from the fellowship for the next nine months, which will be between 30 and 40 people. So I've talked about it before, but yeah, so that's, that's it. And I'm, I'm going to interview them and feature them on Wednesdays so that we have a good mix of, of all the people that I bring on, the best-selling authors, you know, thought leaders, celebrities, pro athletes, a good mix of people and these amazing humans from the fellowship and community that I am blessed to be a part of. So today's guest, his name is Alex Nelson. This guy is an amazing dude. I was on his podcast called Through the Veil. I highly suggest you guys go listen to it. He's very, very intelligent, in-tune guy, and he's able to articulate questions and thought-provoking ideas that are really inspiring, and we went deep on his show. I was on there, and we talked for about 90 minutes, and then we did a recording for mine, so I was really, really grateful to be a part of that, and I highly suggest you guys go and subscribe to Through the Veil. It's 
if you want to go down a rabbit hole of spirituality and truth and you know self-awareness, go check him out. He's also got a cool program you can see on his Instagram. It's called Upgrade Your Visualization and Manifestation Game with a four-week program called Vivid Visualizations. Geez, that's a hard word to say. Vivid Visualizations. And if you go check his Instagram out, you can go, there's a link to it. Really cool, unique tool to help you with visualizing and manifesting. So especially during this time, it's always cool to have different tools that'll help you. And after hearing him speak, you guys will definitely want to go check this out. So we got into his story. We got a very similar story, alcohol background. That was kind of our vice. That was kind of our identity for a while. And we, we really connected on a lot of similar levels and it's brought us together, which is really makes me very happy and feel very grateful because even though this was kind of our first time that we really connected, I know that it's only the start to a really awesome relationship that potentially could create like a massive ripple effect and help a lot of people. Who knows where these relationships can go and what, how you can collaborate and create amazing things from. So guys, sit back, relax. You're going to love this episode. If you get value from this, make sure you share it with a friend. Take a screenshot of it. I love seeing these pop up in my stories. Tag us both. Let us know the takeaway you got from it. And if you haven't already, smash that subscribe button so you stay on top of it and you don't miss any. We got tons of amazing humans coming on here. We're approaching 200 episodes, 200 episodes in 15 months, which is pretty crazy and I'm super, super proud of. So enjoy the show. Sit back, relax. Alex Nelson coming right up. Alex, we're here, bro. We're doing it. How you doing? Doing super well. How about yourself? Good, man. It's great chatting with you. We just did a recording on your podcast and I highly, highly recommend anybody out there that isn't subscribed to this, go check out Through the Veil. He's amazing. Alex has some guests that will blow your mind. The conversations he has are just amazing. So make sure once you're done listening to this, you go and check out Alex's podcast Through the Veil. So Dude, that was a lot of fun, and I, I can't wait oh, yeah. to dive in with you on this. Fuck yeah. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, dude. Me too. So, you know, there's a lot of times people only get to know you where you're at in your life now, and which is great, but there's always some real interesting value behind the scenes that go back. So what I want to do is take us back, and I'll prompt you with one question here. Take us back to the beginning, walk us through your journey, but let us know what was the biggest challenge or biggest struggle you faced as a child, as a teenager that had the most impact on your life later on? So I'll take it back to the beginning. Biggest struggle I ever had was alcoholism. And that was probably from age 16 through age 22. And when I say alcoholism, everyone has varying definitions. So I feel it's good to sort of explicitly lay out what I was going through. From the time I was 16, I was drinking probably three to four nights a week yep. to the extent of blacking out in many cases. And it was negatively affecting the way I was able to perform. Um, so to give you a little background about me, because I think it's useful context, I grew up with a very loving family, mom and dad, both together still and a younger brother, and really had a lot of good things going for me. But I think 
through some tumultuous times in middle school and then getting into high school and sort of falling into that scared kid mindset of just like, I want people to like me and very much seeking validation. I became just super dependent on alcohol because it was the ultimate, like, if you were the kid who knew where the cool parties were in high school, you were the shit. Like you had access to anything you wanted to do because you were the person who had the thing every, everyone wanted. They wanted to be able to party at the cool party and be with the pretty girls and do all this stuff. And that spilled over after high school into my adult life. And I just kind of was going through this cycle of dealing with not, not knowing how to interact with people when I wasn't drunk, like constantly going out partying, constantly at the bars, constantly finding excuses for ways to like extend the weekend. You know, you go like, okay, well, Thursday has 18 plus a night at, at the bar. So I guess I'll go to that. And Sunday is technically a part of the weekend too, Sunday fun day. So I guess I should party that day. And of course, Friday and Saturday are also party days. So yeah, I just quickly found my life just sort of slipping away from me. And I was just like, holy crap. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that can really take over. Right. And as we talked about you guys, yeah, like we, this is crazy how similar our stories are is that you guys listening know that I struggle with booze a lot. I've talked about it millions of times. And to hear your story and that you struggle with that as well is really interesting because you know, like we, we you understand the things that, that that means and what that does. And, and growing up, that becomes the identity, right? And, and socializing without that is, is a challenge. And a lot of people it is. You know, you see somebody one day and then you see them out in the street and they don't, and you don't even talk to them. It's like, it's fucking weird. It's like, you, it's like you only, people only talk when they're under the booze. It's, it's, it's amazing how that happens. So, so when did you realize that it was an issue for you though? Like when, because there's a lot of that fine line between we're young, we're a kid, like we're kind of yeah. like, it's like, this is okay. And to a, to a degree it is. Right. Right. But when, when was that, oh shit. Like this is, this is not serving me the way it should be. Yeah. It was two different things. So number one, I think the first thing that started to awaken my inner self that knew that I wasn't supposed to be doing this was that whenever I'd go on dates with girls, like I'd go, like I'd meet them at the bar and they'd fucking just be absolutely enthralled with this this person I had constructed, this just like entertaining, funny, charming person that I'd built under alcohol. And I'd go on a date with them, like sober in the daytime, and we'd go and like get tea or something. And it would just, it wouldn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, fuck. Like, okay, I've constructed, and this is something that happens to people a lot. Like I've, I've flexed the muscle of being funny and being charming while drunk, but I've never flexed the muscle of being that without being drunk. So when I go into a date sober, I'm just like terrible. Like I have no idea what to say. I don't know how to act. Like it was the first nudge where I'm like, okay, something's up there. Cause I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be in a relationship with someone I care about if I'm sort of not able to master this part of my life. If I'm so divided, like, what am I going to be drunk every day? We're hanging out. That's not going to work. Yeah. 
the second real thing that gave me a smack of a wake up call was, you know, I, I went to I went to one semester of college when I was eighteen, and I just decided it wasn't for me. I originally wanted to go and get my psychology PhD, and psychology was super interesting to me, but I just didn't like the idea of having to put up with all this bullshit to get there. So I struck out to the workforce, and by the time I was 21, 22, I was working a job that objectively, for someone with no college, was way above what my level would be. I was making like 90 grand a year. I was managing an entire offsite location of a business. And I had gotten to that point because I was I had a good understanding of systems and a good understanding of how to optimize them and how to how to make things run smoothly. But alcohol was sort of always there and it was pulling at the ability for me to succeed. So I ended up actually getting fired from that job because I just missed one too many days, you know, flat out just one too many times that I didn't show up because I was laying in bed hungover. Mm. And that was a fucking wake up call for me. I'm like, well, what the hell? Like I had stumbled my way into this job that I really by outside optics shouldn't have. And now I just blew it. Yeah. So am I going to get another job opportunity like that? Probably not immediately. So what am I doing? <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, the, the conversations, like when you, it's amazing how many events, when you have that alcohol problem, how you always look for, if you can drink there, I'll go. If you can't, I won't. And I was like that. I'd be like, you probably, you could probably agree. It's like, oh, is there, is there going to be booze there? Like, is yeah. there a time thing where, yes, all right. And if there wasn't, it would be like, oh man, that means I gotta like, gotta talk to people sober. I don't want to do that. That's fucked up. Right. And that's what a lot of people go through too. Right. And you know, it's, it's crazy when you can look back now and, and, and see the patterns, but you know, what, what do you think was the reason why you gravitated towards alcohol? Because some people do, some people don't. Like, what was the underlying thing? Like, why did you drink? Lack of self-love, hands down. And it came from a few different things that I think we'll dig into. And it was exposed through a mushroom ceremony that I did for myself. But before we get to that piece, it it's... It's a wanting to feel accepted and feel like a part of the group, the in-group. And alcohol is just such an easy lever to pull for that. And there's actually, yeah, there's a really interesting study that made a lot of stuff clear for me. And the study showed that, so what they did was they had two groups. They had one group that was allowed to smoke weed while they were studying for a test. And the other group was smoking weed while studying for a test as well. And then when they went in to take the test, they had group A, which smoked weed, did not smoke weed while taking the test. And they had group B smoke weed before taking the test. So you'd think the group that took the test sober would have done better. Not the case. They found that the group that had smoked weed before the test and the group that smoked weed uh, during the test did the best. And... The idea is it's called state-dependent memory. So if you are in an altered state of consciousness, whether that's alcohol or weed or whatever it might be, you build up skills that only exist when you are in that state. So 
I'm like, fuck. So I had built up all these skills that only existed when I was drunk. So there's a really high, it's called like a switching cost. There's a really high switching cost for me to switch from going out partying all the time to going out sober or existing sober because when I tried to be sober, I was like, I hadn't built any muscle. I hadn't built that muscle in my head at all. So I sucked at it. And I'm just like, ow, that hurts. But when I'm drunk, I'm funny. <laughs> like, shit. Uh, dude, yeah. I could resonate with that so much. That's so fucking true. And I always wondered that. For myself in bars, I, had, I'd be, I created this person that was like, I could do all the shit, run bars, like make drinks and talk to people. There was this thing that I created only that came out when I drank. It was like I became better at, at being whoever I was creating. And then when you take that away, you're right. You, you're left with this, wait a minute, I haven't conditioned this person yet. And it takes a while because you got to learn how to do things without the thing. And it's like, it's a real painful process. I think that's a lot of reasons why people get so addicted to it. It's because yeah. it, you become a functional, functional alcoholic that can do shit and, right. and get by. And you're like, well, I can get by. And then when you take that away, you almost become, it's almost like you've gotten, you feel dumber for a while. Mm -hmm. Got to get like, worse before you get better. And it, it's painful to experience because nobody wants, you know, if you're, if you're here, at whatever percent on alcohol and then you have to go down first before you come back up to your full potential that fucking sucks that doesn't feel like progress you're like well i'm not i'm not making connections anymore so now that i haven't had sex for six months because i quit drinking that's painful it's really easy to tell myself a story i should go out drinking because that means i'll get the thing i'm missing yeah you know it's it's crazy this is the first time I've actually talked to somebody that has a similar alcohol path as I did, like that can actually understand what's happened. Like I've talked to some people, that, but nobody really understands it. And the way you've said that, it made me just, it's exactly like the thought process and what I was going through. And it's, it's really amazing because generally we hang around with people that allow us to be that person and anybody mm -hmm. that doesn't like I used to, I used to shy away from the people that didn't drink. Cause it would mean that that would challenge me to have to be not the drunk guy, the party guy. Right. And, and having that comfortable environment, like these guys get me, I could hang with these guys cause I can mm -hmm. do this. Yep. That's just, yeah, man, it's crazy. So how did you like you're, you're all right. So you got fired, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're in a, like, let's walk us through the age. Where, you, well, how old are you when that happened? It's twenty-one. Okay, where? So, you, how old are you now? Twenty-nine. Okay, so you're twenty-one. You fucked up. You're drunk. You couldn't go to work mm -hmm. sometimes, which I think God, thank God, I worked in a bar because I could actually, like <laughs> drink on the job. I could just wake up and yeah, drink exactly. and go to work. Like that's what I would do. I'd have triple yep. vodka. I go in. Oh, fucking crazy, freaking maniac. But so knowing that you you fucked up, what? Walk us through that moment of your life when you're like, okay, mm -hmm. lost my job. This isn't right. Like what happened then? Like where were you at mentally? Yeah. So I think, I think a little bit similar to your story, it, it was sort of the, a wake up call, but it wasn't everything all at once. So I'm like, I knew, I was like, I need to quit drinking. And at that point I knew that for a fact, it was no longer, I was no, I wasn't able to sell myself the story that I don't need to quit drinking. 
objectively, I fucking need to quit. And then I actually tried to put that into action. And for about six months, I just kept just like failing, just running into that wall over and over again Mm. of I'd go one weekend without drinking. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking did it. Great work, me. And then like the next weekend, I'm getting hammered. I'm like, fuck, I can't get this right. This is something I recommend to coaching clients of mine often is if you if you're running into the same problem over and over again, let's say you're trying to start a workout plan and you just can't do it. Like, you know what you're supposed to be doing, but you're not doing it. The problem is not that you, it's not a tactics problem. It's a trauma or programming problem because you, if I give you a workout plan and you go do it for a week, but then you fall off the wagon and then we try a different workout plan and that doesn't work either. Well, you know what you're supposed to be doing, but something else is, got its hooks in you that's causing you to not do the thing you know you're supposed to be doing. This was the case for me with drinking. I knew how to quit and I knew why I should quit, but I didn't know why I was still drinking and what I was sort of escaping from and running from. Mm-hmm. So six months pass, I'm having no success. I was working some other shitty job that was just like not inspiring to me, but it was paying the bills. So I was like, okay, I'm surviving. And I think on a random one-off podcast, I heard Tim Ferriss just like totally offhandedly mention mushrooms. And I'm like, hmm, magic mushrooms for those, for those listening that might not be familiar. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And the way he described it was like a way to look at yourself and get more self-aware. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like something I need because clearly I don't know something that's happening. Fast forward a month, I searched and searched and finally found some mushrooms. And I did something that I don't recommend to people. So for those listening, this is not advice for you to take to fix your life. This is Alex got very lucky (laughs) that this worked out the way it did. And there are much safer ways to do it, which we'll touch on. But I got five grams of mushrooms, took them alone in the dark in my room. And went to fucking Mars, essentially. <laughs> um, now, beforehand, there was a lot of trepidation, a lot of fear, because I was like, oh, I'm going to get, like, just destroyed. Like, I'm, my inner higher self, whatever language you want to use, is going to just, like, beat the shit out of me because I've been fucking up. I can't get anything right. Just all the self-talk going on. And as I went into the experience the experience i had was like the exact opposite of that and in retrospect it was exactly what i needed at that time but i had the experience of my body completely dissolving into the universe and every single molecule of my being being completely and utterly surrounded by unconditional love and just felt that permeate through every piece of my being and i'm just like oh shit okay I I came out of the experience. Like that was the whole experience for like four hours, just gone Mm. one with everything, but also so surrounded with love that I just like can't describe, Mm. which was exactly what I needed because my drinking was coming from such place of lack of self-love and wanting to, to, 
dumb down and numb away the inner judge that would tell me so many things about why I wasn't good enough or why I wasn't funny enough or charming enough. And over the course of, I did three more personal mushroom ceremonies over the course of the next six months, I completely fixed my alcoholism. And like, I know the AA way of looking at things is sort of like, oh, you're always an alcoholic. I don't buy that shit. <laughs> Fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah. It, it could be a useful paradigm to start with where perhaps you start from a place of acknowledging that you don't have control over it. Yeah. I think that that could be useful as a starting point, but that shouldn't be the ending point. I agree hundred percent. So over the course of the next six months, I went into these ceremonies over and over again. And I had different pieces of myself revealed to me. Um, so the second ceremony I did was this just like, that was what I was expecting the first time. I got taken to task and I got shown every single piece of where I had fucked up and hurt someone that I cared about. All the different ways from like stealing money from my dad to help pay for drinking to just like fucking over friends, like telling them like, yeah, for sure we'll hang out tonight. And then something else better comes up and I'm like, cool, I'm doing that instead. Fuck off. I'm not talking to them. It walked me through the timeline of everything I had done to hurt someone near to me because of drinking and just like showed it in no, no kind terms. Like, hey, here's what you're doing to people and here's the ripples your actions are causing that you're not aware of. So I was like, okay, fuck, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Painful. Let's forward to the third experience. And the third experience was kind of like an integration of the two. It was the experience of, okay, you fucked up, but you can do better. And here's where some of these things are coming from in your childhood and in your young adult life. And how can we take those and alchemize them into a positive where I can take my experiences and become who I'm supposed to be. And I had this experience of just like looking at what I'm supposed to do. And for the first time, maybe seeing it and being a little bit inspired and more so allowing myself to be a little bit inspired. And that was the first time I really took a step towards that. Fourth experience was really just the mushrooms going, hey, don't make this new, new don't make this your new alcohol. <laughs> this doesn't need to be your new thing. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like kind of gave me a little bit of like sitting down and talking to you, like, hey, don't come back for a while. Go work on some shit. Like, mm-hmm. okay, good, good to know. <laughs> so that's kind of the path that took me. And after that, I didn't I didn't drink for a full year straight. Wow. So similar, bro. <laughs> and then after that, I've kind of integrated it back into my life in the sense that I can, I can opt in to a healthy amount of drinking rather than a needing to get blacked out, which like occasionally my birthday, if I plan ahead and I'm like, it'd be really fun to get really fucked up with my friends. Cool. Yeah. But it's not going to be every frat anymore. Opt in. I like that. Giving myself the chance to opt in. Yeah. I, I, I like that a lot. Man, so a lot to unpack there. I want to talk about specifically the mushroom experience. So, you know, with myself doing, had a, having a, the same sort of journey, you know, in the dark, three and a half grams. I don't know if I've even talked about this on my, my show yet, but I did a mushroom ceremony as well. And I still had control, but I had, so basically where I want to go with this is for anybody listening, like, there's a lot of talk about like ego death versus, you know, okay, so what does that mean? And how different would your experience have been? Let's say you did three and a half versus five. 
And that being your first time, you had nothing to compare it to. But like, what does that mean when you're like, when you lose your sense of ego, it gets dissolved. Like mm-hmm. walk us through that means and what is, how important is if somebody's going to play around with the dosage, like the difference on going like from three and a half to five or even less than that, like maybe walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So what, what I recommend to people, and then we'll talk about the differences, but what I recommend to people is start small. Like start with a one gram or two gram. Everyone's body chemistry is different. So for some people, two grams is five grams. People have different reactions to things. So it's super important to say just because people will, it's not purely based off of body weight. It's not purely based off of like, are you a man or a woman? There are people who are hypersensitive to these things and they can take a gram and they can be absolutely out of it. So it's important to, I think, slowly step up your dosage. The difference for me between a five gram and let's say a three gram is on a three gram dose, I can have some level of attachment to reality and I can opt back into the room around me. So I can, you know, let's say I'm wearing an eye mask, which is like highly recommended. If I take the eye mask off, the room is the room and maybe the walls are a little funky and they're bending a little bit, but like I can go okay, yeah. this is the room. Cool. We're yeah. attached. On that five gram and up dose, you don't, that option's not there anymore. You take the eye mask off and the entire room is fractals with eyes open and you're in it. So the reason I think people talk about it as the ego death is at those higher doses, you don't, your ego doesn't have an option to stay in what is the known world you are forced into the unknown world. And this, this mirrors the hero's journey, which is the, the theme of our Fit for Service Fellowship this year is the hero's journey. So it's very apt that we're learning about it. But the, it's the reason that a five-gram dose is called a heroic dose. You depart the known world. You're going to confront the things in front of you that need to be confronted. And then you're going to come back with the treasure to the normal world. But you won't have a say in it anymore. So the important pieces of that are like, you got to be ready to surrender fully. And because of all the stuff I had gone through at that point, I was ready to surrender because I tried so much other shit that didn't work that I had the mindset of like, I'm going into this. And if this doesn't fix me, I'm either going to end up killing myself eventually, or I'm just going to die as a result of not caring about myself. So I was in a mindset that was, that worked for me just surrendering and going, I hope this works. I'm willing to see whatever it would be. But if you don't have that reaction, people can have a very, very negative experience because if you go into a five gram experience and you try to resist the whole way, it can get dark. Fuck. Can it ever? (laughs) Yeah. I, I just, I think about, you know, the three and a half and if I wanted to, if I allowed it to really like to resist it, it could have been real ugly. Like I had, I talked about it. It was like, I became two people, you know, I became one. It was like my higher self, the wise one telling me it's okay. You got this because I had prepared for that. But if I didn't have those tools, then I would have been, Oh fuck. I don't want to see this. I don't want to do this. Oh shit. And then that's when things get real bad. It's like when you're trying to control shit, when you're trying to control the outcome, that's when things get real bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and kind of a lesson for life too. 
Absolutely. And that's where, that's where having a sitter is helpful. Because if you are the type of person who maybe doesn't have any frame of reference for these things, or it's a first step along your journey, and maybe you haven't done a lot of other self-work, what I recommend to people is like, okay, if you're going to do it no matter what, then have a trusted friend sit in the other room. And they can just be there, and they're not like directly watching you. They're not like staring at you while you're on the experience, because that can cause a lot of like self-consciousness like oh my god what if i do something weird what if i take off all my clothes like yeah so they're in the other room but then that signals to yourself your subconscious like hey someone's there they can help if something goes really wrong yeah and then that person to be hopefully knowledgeable enough or they've experienced a mushroom experience themselves because i think it's important for them to understand like how to navigate that space and that really helps like reduce some of the risk that people have when they do a first, especially a first experience. Like people's first experiences are, are where there's the most, what would be the way to put it that makes sense? Like the first time you go into this type of space and it could be through meditation, it could be through other things. It's the, there's the chance for the biggest delta that exists between where you think you are and where you really are. And sometimes that gap getting just smacked shut very quickly is really, really painful. Yeah. <laughs> like if you've told yourself a story about how you're this amazing person and like, well, I just cheat on my wife because uh, whatever, but I'm a really, really great person. I'm a big member of my community, et cetera, et cetera. And then that gap gets smacked shut and you see that you've been like a terrible person for many years. That's really fucking painful. Yeah. And so without the proper help and the proper guidance around you that could be really destabilizing and the chance for that to happen is like most present in that first experience because it's the first time you've sort of peeked your head above the water and gone like oh oh shit okay things aren't quite like i thought they were yeah it's it's super important at the setting too just understanding like respecting the medicine Mm -hmm. you know but a lot of us have like any time I used to do mushrooms was like you know we're having some drinks and everyone is just messing around or I go yeah. out into the forest and do it but like having the intention of what what you want like what you want to address is super powerful yeah. and 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 preparing yourself before because the thing that I found interesting is like what are we actually scared of we're scared of dying right like mm-hmm. isn't that what the base of fear is really like if you take something like a mushroom or ayahuasca or anything like that, what is it we're actually scared of? The outcome would probably be the pain, the feeling of dying, right? Isn't that, because I was trying to ask myself, like, what am I actually scared of in this experience? Like if shit goes sideways, if I know I'm not going to die, then why am I actually scared? I think it's the fact, this is just me like spitballing. I was trying to think about it the other day. Like, what am I actually afraid of? And I think it's the, acknowledging well if i die am i actually afraid of dying or am i afraid of the pain that i'm going to feel in that moment and i try to just when i when i was in that experience and then the anxiety comes i'm like what am i afraid of i think i'm afraid that this thing's just going to kill me but like accepting that that could happen in any environment it's yeah. almost like like you know maybe walk us through that like what do you think it is that people are fearing is it is it through do you ever think about that? Like, why am I actually scared? Like, what would you yeah. be scared of? 
Absolutely. So this is something that's super common. People have all sorts of different anxieties. I would say death is probably the most dominant one. That's the one that's running in most people's programming. Probably 70 plus percent of the population runs with a deep fear of death, especially because in our current Western society, we're very disconnected from death. So maybe you've experienced the death of a loved one. And like in your case, like a very extreme one-two punch of that. But for most people, like they don't live with their grandparents, so they don't see this sort of everyday deterioration and then watch them actually physically pass away. So they're very disconnected from what death is. And as a result, they're very scared of it because the unknown is scary. There are other things that have been sort of programmed into us through the drug war that cause a lot of anxiety for people. So people are scared that they're going to lose their mind. The data show that that is so infrequently the case that it's not even something people should be too concerned about, but it's a big fear for people. They're like, well, if my mind's all I have, and what if I lose that? Like the thought of being crazy or detached from reality and being still stuck alive in your body is very terrifying. And I empathize with that. Like I get that one. Um, as a side note, I did one of the scariest mushroom experiences I ever had. I did, again, five gram dose, et cetera, et cetera. I had the experience of, in the experience, every word I was saying internally in my head was in a completely gobbledygook, like made up language. So even my self talk in my head was nonsense. And nothing I was saying internally made any cohesive sense whatsoever and anything being said to me was also in that language and I, like i was like That's oh scary. my god i broke it i broke my brain fuck and like came out the other side of the experience totally fine and it was like hey that was a fear you had in you and we needed to deal with it I'm like shit okay yeah hopefully we only have to deal with that one once because i was terrifying <laughs> but yeah, people have different fears around it. And a lot of it can be, I think a lot of it as well, a big fear that people have is the fear of being wrong. So they have this fear going into the psychedelic space that they're going to be shown that they've been a fuck up for a really long time. Mm-hmm. It's really painful for us. Like if I tell you that you've been living the last 10 years of your life completely incorrectly and not in alignment with your truest self, that hurts. So you don't want to hear that. So you just kind of resist the things that would show it to you. Mm, Dude, that's powerful. So how important is the integration? Because this is, I find this is interesting too, is like it can almost become the new addiction. Mm -hmm. Like, and you know, Kyle Kingsbury talks about this, how there's some people that'll keep doing it and he'll see them a year later in their exact same position. Yeah. You know, they, they haven't made any changes. They've done all these ceremonies, but they haven't. Yet, how important is it to really break down each ceremony and apply it before doing the next? Because when I knew that after I finished, I was like, I'm not going to do one again until I do what I was told in the first one. Like, that's Mm -hmm. stupid. Like, why would I, like, you know, like, why would you not just take it piece by piece, you know? And I think wherever we're at is different, but I think it's important for people to break it down and know the integration, like, what are your thoughts on that? I know you said like, it's different for everybody, but like, how important is it for people to, to kind of have that respect and not make it like a new thing, like every weekend, because then it kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, absolutely. So 
a couple things. If you're treating mushrooms intentionally, they're beautiful in that they have a bit of a self-regulating mechanism built in. So number one, you can't really get addicted to them in the traditional way that other addictions work. Because if you take mushrooms today, you'll need twice as much tomorrow to still get the same effect. And you'll need twice as much as that the next day to still get the same effect. So you can't really use them in the same way you would use alcohol, which is a good thing. It means that you can't make this your I'm going to numb myself every day tactic. The other piece of it is that when you treat them intentionally and you go into a deep ceremony with them and you allow yourself to hold that space as sacred and valuable, you'll get what I got in my first four experiences, which is on the fourth experience, kind of a slap from the mushrooms going, hey, dummy, you've done enough work on this. You need to go implement, go figure it out. And I found that throughout many ceremonies I've done since then, I think probably up to, I don't know, a hundred, let's say at this point, that when I'm going too often to that well, it'll come and go, hey, you're good for a while. Don't come back. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Now, the caveat to that is if you're using them unintentionally, and this touches on a good point that you had used mushrooms a few times recreationally before using them intentionally like this. And you can totally use them recreationally and actually just like be lowering your consciousness constantly, especially if you combine them with things like alcohol, which is going to depress you and just like open you. It can be totally abused in that way where you could use it every weekend and like, yeah, it would work every weekend, but it, it won't have the same self-regulation that it will if you use it intentionally and in ceremony. I pretty firmly believe that if you're using it truly intentionally in ceremony with very few exceptions, it'll tell you when you're going too often. And usually that message is based off of like, have you integrated what you've learned? And integration is sort of a nebulous term for some people where they don't understand what it actually means. Uh, So I think it's useful to flesh that out a little bit and just say that integration is the successful implementation of the lessons you've learned over the course of at least a month. Mm. So if you received this lesson about how you need to take your physical fitness more seriously because this, 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 and then you go and you work out for the whole next month, beautiful, you're integrated. However, if you make it two weeks and you fail and the da, 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 like you may not be integrated yet. So that's, that's sort of the, the way I think about it. It's interesting how you, you talked about how people may think that they've been living their life wrong. And I get, mm-hmm. I, you said that I was like, I kind of, I went into it too. I was a little bit worried, like it would be bad, but my, I was actually being told you're on the right path. You just need to stop fucking limiting yourself with yeah. it's like, stop dimming your fucking light, you idiot. Mm-hmm. Like you're robbing people. And that's, that's a better feeling than like, man, you, you need to like, your whole path is wrong. Like, mm-hmm. And, but this is like, it's not this stuff. I don't feel like mushrooms is giving you anything that you don't already intuitively know. Right. Like, I feel like it's like, it's just allowing you to see it. Yeah. I would say there's, I agree for the most part, I'd say there's a couple of exceptions to that. So with the way trauma functions, traumas you experienced as a kid can end up so deeply rooted in your subconscious that you have no conscious awareness of So you may be aware of like the pattern you're exhibiting, like I shouldn't be drinking, but you may not have any awareness of where the fuck is that coming from? Yeah. So I think people are usually quite aware of the patterns they're doing that they shouldn't be doing, 
but often extraordinarily unaware of where it's coming from and how to sort of trace that back to see like, damn, if I'm drinking all the time, like it's lack of self-love. Okay. Where did that lack of self-love come from? Cause that's the key that unlocks yeah. that door. Yeah. That's so true. It's interesting. So, okay. Let's walk, let's go back to your journey of having, cause here's the thing. I'm, I admire that you were able to go a year without and you can control it. For me, I thought I could do the same and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So people that I talk to, even bartenders that I used to work, used to work for me have messaged me and been like, dude, I went a year sober. Should I go back into it? Mm-hmm. And just, I was like, dude, no, don't do it. Right. right. Because for most won't have the tools to navigate through that. They'll just go back into their old programming. And I'm, I'm tw- two people, the other person went right back into his old habits. Mm-hmm. And after being sober for a year and a half, and I did the same. I wanted to be able to control it. And I admire you that you were able to do that. So somebody that is struggling, like if you were to recommend going a year, if you went a year sober, how would you, because you're obviously one of the exceptions that can do that under control because of your tools that you've given yourself. But what would you recommend to somebody like us who had a problem and may have addressed it, but then want to say, Hey, what's going on out there? Is that, is that still, is that thing still there? Because it's like that mm-hmm. voice of like, I miss that taste of a beer. I love wine with dinner. I yeah. love justifying every fucking reason to drink. <laughs> like, what do you, what advice do you have for that person? Absolutely. <laughs> so for, first I'd frame that I have not been perfect since this point. So there have been weekends where I've not consciously opted into drinking. Okay. So it's not like it hundred percent goes away, but it, yeah. I have gotten better at catching myself, exponentially better at catching myself when I'm falling into that patterning. It doesn't happen two weekends in a row. Mm. So that's the first thing is not perfect. Probably will never be perfect at this. It's okay. That's a piece of it. I would say to the person that is having the experience if they go a whole year without drinking and then they have one drink and that kicks off their whole patterning, they, they cut the they cut the sapling off and they, they took out the sapling itself, but they didn't get the roots out. And those roots can be varied and there could be many of them. In my yeah. case, I think I was a little bit lucky in that I went and did a bunch of ceremonies in a row. So that really allowed me to navigate and pull all the roots out. Mm. And also in my case, there were not that many roots it was really like four main things. And once I pulled those out, it was way easier to deal with. So I think that as tactical advice, if you have the other piece of it, that's an X factor is like, we're, we're social creatures. So if you find yourself at the end of that year and you still have the same friends and you've just managed to not drink around them for that period of time, you're probably not going to be able to have a drink if they're still drinking all the time. Because you're yeah. going to fall into that pattern really quickly versus if you have totally different friends, they'll maybe give you that slap and go like, Lance, you drank last weekend. Why are you drinking again this weekend? Mm. So that would be the other, the other X factor is like even the best person, if they're around the wrong people who are not aiming at success, is going to find trouble to have successful habits and patterns. Environment is everything. I, I really believe that. And when I moved away for five years to Australia and, and I came back here to Vancouver, 
even though five years have gone by, as soon as I'm in the same environment with the same people, it's like, where the fuck? I can't believe that this is the same thing. Yeah. This is the exact same thing. Like it's, and before, before you go away for five years or go travel, you think five years is a lifetime. Then you come back and nothing has really changed. And it's so amazing how the human body can adapt right back into its old patterns. Yep. So yeah, you really have to make a conscious effort of your environment and who's supporting, who's supporting those, those decisions. And if there's people that are going to pull those old habits out, those old mm. behaviors, then you probably don't want to spend all your time with those people. Yep. Absolutely. It, it is the often the most painful part of self-development in any sense is that and look, I'll put it bluntly, like just because someone was your friend for 20 years doesn't really mean shit. If they're not aiming at your mutual success, they're not really your friend. Yeah. And you have to think like that because it's so easy to get caught in the trap of, well, I've known this guy for 15 years and like, I'd be a bad person if I turned my back on them. No. You got to be, and I don't even want to call it selfish because maybe that's the wake up call that they need is you turn their, your back on them and go, Hey, I can't hang out with you anymore. You're drinking all the time. I can't be a part of that. Yeah. Maybe that's what makes them go, wait, if Alex is not going to hang out with anyone anymore, maybe I'm doing something that needs to be changed. It's super important. Well, the bar industry in general is just a bunch of misfits with with fucking pattern, bad patterns of trauma. It's like, it's like everybody gravitates towards it and it becomes normal because mm -hmm. everybody's just got this, everyone's got shit that they're just dealing with. Yeah. I learned that firsthand, like in Australia, it's crazy, man. Everybody's hiding from shit. Nobody wants to face it. And as soon as you decide you don't want to be part of that, it's like they get afraid because then that means they mm -hmm. have to change and yep. nobody wants to. It's easier for them to just drink behind it. And I just look back, I'm like, some people don't even have the awareness of it. They're happy in that. And I'm like, how are you happy with fucking doing this all the time? Like, at least when I did it, I always was, I beat myself up a bit. But then I'm like, well, these guys just, they don't even care. And it's like, I can't believe that they don't have the, like that something's got to be better than this. It's like, no, this is the thing. And it's like, that's depressing in itself is that they don't see that there's opportunity for them. They don't even have the self-awareness that there's any other way. Yeah. Right? But I, and you probably as well, like you always knew, like you still do, like you know that there's more to life than this. So that itself is like, you, you get upset that you're, you're, you're kind of stopping yourself from evolving by doing mm. this stuff. But a lot of people don't even recognize that as a thing. Yeah. Well, and it's easy, it's easy for them to then dismiss what you've done. Yeah as you're somehow special, which I think is like one of the most dangerous mindsets people yeah. get into in that space is, well, Lance, you got out of all of the bar scene because you're you. I couldn't do that because we're so different. And like, that's just, it's not true. <laughs> it's just, you had a couple of moments where you woke up and anyone can have those moments. Yeah. But you'll never have them if you are in the victim mindset of, well, good for you, but I'm not like that. So that can't happen for me. And it takes intentional work to change your energetic mm -hmm. body. Uh, that's another thing that came, just came to me from my, my mushroom trip was mm -hmm. like I was being told you have to have the intention and it takes work every day to create your energetic body. It's something that you have to take serious. 
And even if you want to transform, like it's not just going to happen. You have to put in the concentrated effort and that's every single morning, you know, because we're just energy. And if we're not really focused with the intention of programming ourselves, then we'll just, you know, we'll float around. Right. And I think it's like that with alcohol too. It's like, you need to have the intention of it's going to be challenging, but you know, what's the reward and, and, and what can happen from getting that shit out of your life? So many things open up because you're not constantly at that low vibration and you know, you're able to have conversations and you're able to meet people that you'll notice and you'll get the nudges along the way because you're not dumbed down or numbed out. A lot of yeah. times people miss the call because they don't see the call. They yeah. don't see the nudge because they're too busy digging themselves out of holes instead of building on the surface, building on the foundation. Right. You know? And, and to be fair to everyone, like there, there are people who, there are people who I've seen who, so let's, let's take a step back here for you and for I, I can generalize a little bit because we share a lot of things, you know, pretty good household growing up from zero yeah. to 10, some issues later on. So for you and I, we had a foundation to build off of. So maybe the progress came a little quicker. There are people who have to excavate the entirety of the foundation they were built on and uh-huh. go down and dig up the sub-basement to go down and dig up the basement below that and just like get rid of everything so they can rebuild. Uh, it's going to be harder for them. Yeah. And that's just the truth of it. It doesn't mean it's not possible. And that's where plant medicines are so, so useful. And a thing I've heard mirrored many times in people who had these experiences is like, wow, that was like five years of therapy in six hours. It expedites the timeline because it allows you to have, how do I say this? Like it allows you to have the experience and the visual and the internal knowing of something that it might take you five years to talk your way to in talk therapy. So it's such a magnifier for this type of progress, but for some people it is going to be harder. Like you're, if you, if you got sexually abused from the time you were two until the time you were eight, mm. that is going to have fucked up some much deeper things in you yeah. than someone who didn't have that happen. So acknowledging that while also acknowledging like, man, that also means you're going to have the best story when you get through it. Like if you can overcome that, you're going to be the best healer of all time because holy shit, look at what you overcame and sort of along the theme of your podcast. Like it's, if you have a uniquely fucked up life, a, there's someone that has it worse than you. So let's be honest, like someone out there has it way worse than you, but B that's your unique gift to the world is how can I mend myself, do the self work. So I become whole And then through that, shine a light for every single person that comes after me and allow them to see that it's possible. Yeah, I I said that to people as well. It's like, think about when you get through this, how much you can help people. Mm. Like, this is the thing. This is the gift that you're looking for. Because if you didn't have that, then what would you have? (laughs) You know? And it's, it's hard because it's easy for people. It's easier to be the victim in most cases, right? And I, I, that's the thing is like what I went through, there's people that have gone through, you know, 50 times worse. And it's not about comparing. Everybody goes through it differently. It's, it's just about your perspective in each situation. It's like you can learn something from every situation. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. we learn the lesson from the challenges. 
We don't really learn the lessons from the, the easy times. It's not like, oh, what am I learning here? Things are great. And um, it's like when in sports, I always use this analogy. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're winning, they don't give a fuck. If you're bringing right. in, if you're bringing in wins and you're, you know, you're filling the building and then as soon as you start to lose, then the microscope comes out. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Where's the, like, right? And then that's where things, that's where things get challenging. And, and that's the way it is in life too. It's like, if everything's going smooth, there's no, there's no need to look at stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and Absolutely. you kind of just cruise through, which is great. We all want flow. We want ease and flow. But I think accepting the, the negative that we call it is without judgment is just as important as the positive that we mm. call it. Right. Yes. It's all Absolutely. about the balance. It's all about that. Like that's just as important as the good, the bad. It's all, it's all the thing. Right. It's the soup which we navigate of our lives. Like <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's not separate. It's a piece of your journey. And so here's a, here's a good example of this. So when I was 21, right after I was like, oh, I'm going to try and stop drinking and totally failed at that. I went out to the bar and a couple of friends at the time. So like, let's go to the gay bar. Cause it's like the one here in Minneapolis is fucking amazing. It's like the best bar in town. It's super fun. Yeah. And we're like, let's go to the gay bar. Okay, fine. Let's do it. We went and had some drinks and like they wanted to leave early and I'm like, okay, go ahead. And I'm going to stay here. Cause like, there's a bunch of cute single girls here yeah. that are straight. And this is amazing. Like I'm not leaving. I'm staying. And that was the addict part of me. It was like yeah. more, more, more. Yeah. I need to seek validation. Cut to, I wake up and I'm in a random bed and some guy is trying to pull my pants off. And I'd only had like three drinks which for me at that time was not like that's a buzz barely. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's barely anything. And I wake up, I come to essentially. And this guy's like pulling my pants down. I'm like, Oh man, what the fuck's going on? I had this immediate attention fight or flight experience. Like what the fuck? And like, I, I kind of like push him off me. He's way smaller than me. So it was okay. But like, I kind of pull my pants back up and like stumble out of this random place that I had no idea how I had gotten there. I have no memory of any of this and just like got outside, just like walked for a little bit and my legs were super shaky. In retrospect, I got fucking roofied, which like sucks for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and got home and just like laid down in my own bed and just like passed out and fell asleep for like 12 hours, give or take. Now, in the moment, that was a super negative experience. It made me feel super unsafe. It made me feel just so like, wow, I am 6'3", 190 pounds. At this point, I had trained Muay Thai for like quite a few years. So I'm like, cool, I can defend myself, which almost made it worse. I'm like, okay, I can defend myself. And ooh, now my whole reality has been knocked sideways because I am still susceptible to this thing happening. Mm even though I've trained myself to be physically competent. And what the process came to in the end and how I changed the script around was like, okay, that was one of the keys that helped me unlock being more conscious about my drinking. And this is like to effectively process trauma. One of the final steps in processing trauma is being able to understand and feel how this has happened for you not to you. And like in cases like this, it's fucking difficult. Like I, I'm very empathetic to people who have been sexually assaulted because it's like, well, this thing happened to me. This person took advantage of me. It's like, yes, absolutely. 
But from the moment that stopped, the entirety of the responsibility is now on you to heal that and to leverage it for yourself. And that's a controversial viewpoint. People want to take care of someone that's a victim. And I get it. It's the empathetic part of us as humans that wants to do that. But the thing is, all of the psychological literature shows that only through the acceptance of allowing this person to take ownership does the brain get flipped. Because it's the reason, a large part of the reason people have PTSD about these type of things is your brain is ruminating on it over and over again because your brain is understanding that you haven't fixed the problem. You have no plan in place about how this will never happen again. So your brain's fixed on it. It's like, hey, we haven't fixed it. It's not fixed. For me coming out of that, I was like, okay, now I can understand this. How it happened for me is it's helping me to quit drinking because if I had if there hadn't been that demon in me that was like, keep drinking, keep drinking, I would have been conscious enough to go home with my friends. I would have been conscious enough to not have that extra drink, whatever it might be. And it's not that what happened was my fault, but I can still learn how to move forward from it and how I can be in the future that won't cause that to happen again. Mm. Dude, fuck, fascinating stuff, man. So true. It's... It's amazing the things that come into our lives to teach us, mm. but you have to be okay with that. At the time, it may not seem like that, mm-hmm. but you know you you have to acknowledge it, and like you have two choices: you either let it destroy you, or you allow it to help you grow. And same with this, you know, University of Adversity. It's like everybody I talk to has had to overcome something to get to somewhere, and that's the beautiful lesson: is that at the time. It didn't feel, it didn't, it doesn't feel good when you're going through that shit. But when you have the tools in the toolbox to be able to go, this fucking sucks, but I don't want to stay here too long. I need to figure out what the lesson is here. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, no matter what happens to you, it's nothing, nothing is ever going to be as bad because sitting, going back and forth, revisiting it over and over and over again is what's really bad, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think from thinking about, you know, my dad and what happened with my brother is like my dad didn't have the tools to think his way through his emotions. Mm. So, you know, when you lose somebody close to you, if this happened to me now, yeah, it would suck, but I know how to get through it. But if somebody that doesn't and that happens, it's like my dad would relive this thing over in his mind. I know the way he would work and he would think mm. it over and be feel it's his fault until eventually it manifests into like a cancer. Yeah, and That's how people Absolutely. get it. And mm-hmm. if you don't break that pattern of constantly blaming yourself and constantly thinking about it, then that's what happens. But people don't know that that's even what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? And for another question I have for you is like how, moving forward, like how do people get more in tune with getting in empowered mm-hmm. and, and learning how to navigate instead of going, oh, fuck, I'm suck. I, this, is, this is all against me. The world's against me. Like, What's the first step that we do to help people become empowered? Like, what would you recommend? 20 grams of mushrooms. Uh, just yeah. kidding. Yeah. I think it's going to be a little bit different for every person. And I'll, I'll, I'll lay out a few tools that I think are useful. And each person that's listening can potentially grab whichever tool of this toolkit works best for them. Because everyone, yeah. everyone's a little different. And people don't like to hear that because they want a template they can follow. And there isn't. But there are different tools that do work. Yeah. Journaling is a massive tool. 
it allows you to, and I'm talking in this circumstance, yeah. I'm talking about journaling, like at the end of your day or the beginning of the next day, just writing down, here's how my day was and just tracking your mental state. It allows you to aggregate data on what is causing all of the problems in your life. Yeah. You'll be able to track like, wow, I was sad four days in a row and then I drank. Oh, mm. holy shit. What's going on there? And then you'll be able to ask yourself intentional internal questions of, okay, why was I feeling sad those four days in a row? Well, I wasn't feeling enough love from others. I felt really, really alone. So I wanted to drink. So I wanted to feel community. Great. You've just unpacked like what is a driver in someone's behavior and that it would go unnoticed for a super long time. Meditation is another beautiful tool. I find meditation could be one of the most inaccessible tools for people because as beautiful as meditation is, you start to get the benefits after like a month of consistent practice. Whereas the first five days you do it, you're just kind of like your brain's going and you're not getting any like, you're not getting a download. You're not getting some massive new insight. You're just like, I'm bad at this. I suck. This is terrible. It's because we're in such an instant gratification society. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do meditation, my advice to people is five minutes a day. That's it. And just the main thing is to be consistent. Mm. Five minutes a day for the first week, 10 minutes a day for the second week, 15 minutes a day for the third week, and 20 minutes a day for the fourth week. And you're going to find your mindset's completely different and you're able to sink into that space of peace and inner, inner knowing where you're able to tap into yourself and what is actually going on, and you'll be surprised at the results. You'll just be able to go, wow, oh, this feeling is coming from this. Great. Another great prompt, and I I came upon this in an ayahuasca ceremony, so it kind of just like hit me like a lightning bolt. But an easy way for most people to track back their trauma is to look at the things you are good at as an adult. So easy example. I grew the skill set of becoming very eloquent and very able to speak to people and to be in relationship with them. I grew that because as a kid, I didn't feel heard ever. And Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like what I said mattered. So like young me developed like, okay, I need to be better at talking and develop this whole skill set. So just through that process of identifying that, I'm able to trace back the root cause of, okay, where does this thing come from? And it may It may seem objectively positive, like, oh, you're good at talking to people. That's a good thing. But there's also the shadow side, which is I tend to dominate a conversation. I tend to overtalk. I tend to not listen to what someone else is saying and simply just like feed my own, let me share. So that's an easy exercise. It's like, what am I good at? Write out a list, the 20 things you're good at, and then trace one of them back to where does that come from in your past? Those could be three easy tools. Obviously, plant medicine is a very, very powerful adjunct. I find it's really, really useful if someone's tried to do a little bit of one of those three other tools first before plant medicine because it's going to set them up for success rather than just like a huge awakening all at once. Love it. What I'm, I find challenging, and I'm sure others too, is the journal prompts. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we even know what to journal about? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing that I know that I struggle with is, you know, I, I notice you have good prompts. Like you, you, like how do, how do you get those? Where does somebody get the, the, the what do we fucking write about? You know, like that's yeah. the thing pretty much. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's different types of journaling and you could, you could consider them 
you could put them into sort of two categories. There's like capturing data and then there's concise introspection. So capturing data is at the end of your day, you write down how your day was Mm -hmm. and like literally just capture what the fuck happened. I went to the store, then I got candy, then I felt sad, then I felt angry. Like try to try to keep a good parallel between the feelings and the emotions and what happened in terms of like raw data. That really, the reason you're doing that is to capture data of how you act and to see your patterns. Because when you can see your patterns in stark written form, like wow, 10 days in a row, I told myself I was going to the gym and I didn't go. You lose the ability to bullshit yourself and you're able to really see here's who I really am, not who I say I am or who I think I am. So that's like, capturing data. The other type of journaling would be concise introspection. So that's where you have a specific journal prompt that you're prompted to look at a part of yourself or the way you think about the world or whatever it might be. So that can be things like the prompt I just shared. It could be prompts like, what am I most scared of right now? Mm. And just start writing. And I think the biggest key for people is to just literally write down stuff as it comes to mind and try to build the skill of not filtering yourself because my journal entries are not good. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't release them as some beautiful written, like constructed thing. So don't put that same pressure on yourself. Like this isn't an essay to be presented to the world. It's your internal journal. So if it's literally just like you write the word sad 45 times in a row (laughs) because you're sad, and then the words start flowing, great, that's a win. So mm. give yourself permission to suck at it and don't judge because it's not, it's not for other people. It's for you to get it out. Mm. Gold, man, because I know a lot of people struggle with that. Oh, man, We've, time flies when we're chatting. Where can everybody find you, bro? Where's the best place to check out all your work? Obviously, Through the Veil podcast. Yeah. Where else can we find you? Yeah, so Through the Veil podcast is the best place to get everything you can also follow me on instagram at alexander diesel and i think probably by the time this is out my pot my website will be up and running properly so that's just www.throughtheveil.co and that's where you can kind of keep up on some of my courses and some of the things i'm releasing i've got a visualization program that i'm putting out here in the next week that'll help people kind of build that skill set so Dude, what you're doing is great. And, you know, it was just, I'm super grateful to connect with you on both of our shows. We got to learn a lot about each other, man. And like, you know, it's crazy how fast time goes. Like, I mean, I think in total today, we've talked for like three hours. (laughs) Yes, It's, uh, It's pretty awesome. And you guys listening, I highly encourage you to check out Alex's work. He's, he's a very bright light and he's gone through shit and he, you know, is here to help. And, just having this conversation, man, is just so valuable. So thank you. Thank you for being you. And I appreciate what you're doing, dude. Okay. Thank you for having me on, brother. Appreciate you and excited to deepen this relationship as we go forward. So absolutely, man. Absolutely. Me too. What is one lesson out of all of the stuff you've gone through, all the adversity? What is one lesson that adversity itself has taught you? It's mm, a really good question. Give me a second to Yeah, take your time. Pick it out there. I try to uh, I try to resist the urge to <laughs> give my knee jerk response because often that's the most surface level one. I find that adversity has taught me more than anything that 
whatever is at the core of my being is indestructible. And that's not in the egotistical sense that perhaps people have when they're a teenager that they think like nothing can kill me. Like I'm very aware and okay with the fact that I could die. This mm. coronavirus thing could kill yeah. me. Yeah. But whatever is at the core of my being through the work I release, through the interactions that I have with loved ones, that piece of me is indestructible. And that piece was forged in the most difficult moments of my life. Dude. Powerful. That might've been the best response yet. <laughs> I asked everybody people. that question. <laughs> some people have two words. Some people have, yeah, dude, that was awesome, man. I appreciate Thanks, it. Brother. Powerful. Dude, can't wait to see where we, where we are in the next six months. Super great yeah. for you, man. Have an amazing day, brother. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you. Bye. Thank you, everybody. I hope you guys got value from that. Go check out Alex right now. Go hit him up, send him a DM, harass him. No, I'm just kidding. Tell him you heard him on the show. Go check out his, his tool as well, the visualization and manifestation game, and make sure to subscribe to Through the Veil and listen to all the amazing humans he's got on there. Smash that subscribe button on Apple, you guys. It really makes a difference. And leave us a review. Whatever you can do to share the love and spread the love of this, this episode and the show forever grateful for you to do that. It really, really helps. And the more people do that, the more it grows. And it could be that one person that you share it with that it, it changes their life. So I love you guys. I appreciate you. Stay safe out there. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>